From Innovation Alley at Marquette University, I'm Chuck Swoboda, and this is Innovators on Tap, a show based on the idea that innovation is about leadership. It's a mindset to find a better way, and ultimately, it's about people. These conversations are designed to allow you to open your mind to new ideas and find ways to put those concepts to work. Together, we can solve big problems and maybe even change the world. Since the United States was founded more than 200 years ago, a lot has changed. We've gone from horses to gasoline-powered cars and now to electric vehicles. The phonograph has come and gone, as have eight tracks, cassettes, and even CDs. We've seen the advent of the internet, social media, and artificial intelligence. But there is at least one industry that hasn't changed since the 18th century. How we vote. We still vote in much the same way as we did when our country was founded. You go to a polling location, you mark a paper ballot with a pencil, and drop your ballot off in a box to be counted. Sometimes by a machine, and often recounted manually when people don't like the results. It would seem to me Like, there must be a much better way. We use technology to send mail, transfer money, get a mortgage, and we even let technology drive our car for us. But still, we insist on using paper ballots. Well, on today's episode, we explore a company and technology that's working to radically change how we interact with and vote in elections. We hear from Vote CEO Nimit Sawney and their director of product, Hilary Brasseth. Votes is a startup based in Boston that has developed a secure and traceable way to vote from your smartphone. It's not just another app for your phone, but a really interesting election system that uses technology to make voting more accessible and more secure. Like Hillary said, what's at stake is far too great for us to not be trying to develop solutions in support of participation. That's what's on tap today. Enjoy. So Nimit and Hillary, thank you for joining me today on Innovators on Tap. Thank you for having us here. Thanks for having us. I want to start with a little background about votes. My understanding is that it's a smartphone app that allows people to securely vote from their phones. Do I have that right? Uh, Broadly speaking, yes. We like to refer to ourselves as more than just a smartphone app. We are a elections company. We're actually the youngest elections company in the country. And we let citizens vote on a smartphone uh, in cases where they can't vote in person. So Nimit, I understand that votes started as a hackathon idea at South by Southwest. Can you explain kind of the backstory behind the idea? So my brother and I, we started the company together. So we were at South by Southwest in 2014. It was raining and uh, we didn't want to do any of the outdoorsy activities. So we walked into the convention center where a bunch of events were happening and one of them was this hackathon. So we ended up participating and as we were reading through the paper and figuring out what would be a good use case, we hit upon um, election security and more specifically, how do you you know, keep data tamper resistant and it seemed like a really, really uh, neat way to do it. So we ended up prototyping a mobile focused election system, which used smartphones, some biometrics, and then logged the the votes on a blockchain based infrastructure. We went up on stage and to our utter surprise, 
ended up winning the first prize. So it was quite a bit of a shock for us, but a pleasant shock. Wow. That, you know, it reminds me of a, you sometimes have to realize that you don't pick opportunities, they pick you and you have to be willing to take advantage of them. And I'm not sure I've ever heard a better story than that. It's my understanding that after you pitch your idea and you, you, you win the award that an investor basically told you that you shouldn't do that idea, that it was impossible. And so why did you keep going? He gave us a background that he was aware of the, the nature of the elections industry and he felt like it was not suited for startups at all. And he felt like it would be possibly the hardest thing we'd end up doing. And, and so then we started researching the space in Boston and that's over a period of few months talking to a lot of people, voters, politicians, election officials. That kind of gave us um, a ray of hope that there's, there's something um, which, which we can do here. Maybe we can move the needle in a small way. And that really pushed us to you know, basically push me to leave the job and start the company formally in 2015. I know you talked earlier about this idea that one of the keys to this is blockchain. And you know, I think for the people that listen to the podcast and myself, we hear that word all the time. Can you give us like the seventh grade version of what does that mean? So to put it very simply, blockchain is essentially a tamper-resistant ledger. One way that I sometimes describe blockchain is whereas previously with data being validated in any system, there's kind of one authority figure that's saying whether or not that data is valid. The difference with blockchain is that the authority to determine whether or not data gets written is distributed and decentralized. Nimit, you grew up in India. How do you think that shaped kind of your perspective and your mindset that uh, you're using today as someone who decides on a Sunday to write the software for a new company? Yeah, I grew up in India. And uh, one of the things which um, I often used to think of was um, the difficulty sometimes people had in terms of being able to vote in a in an impartial manner. And especially around the mid 80s, when some unfortunate things happened with the assassination of the prime minister at that time. So that kind of always stuck a nerve in terms of uh, maybe technology can find a way to prevent voter coercion in a, in a remote voting scenario or even sort of in an in-person voting scenario. Yeah, but what made you comfortable deciding that I'm willing to try this on my own? At this particular time in my career, I was almost looking for a, for a transition. As, as you mentioned earlier, things came at the right moment and... Um, it was also a time of a little bit of sort of say personal turmoil. And I feel like a lot of this might be true of other entrepreneurs as well. I think moments of uh, sort of extreme sadness and uh, despair kind of increase your risk taking appetite. I don't want to feel later on in life that I had this chance, a lucky chance. I mean, how often do you get to win a hackathon at South by Southwest? So there was a multitude of factors, I think, coming into play around the same time and a little bit of luck. So Hillary, how did you end up joining Votes? So when I met Nimit and his brother at Mass Challenge, which is this accelerator program, I had started a company in, in West Africa. It's kind of what Nimit said. There was a growing sense in my life personally for a shift and a transition and 
emerging at the same time was this fascination with with democracy and so it was this like magnetic pull almost when when I when I learned about what they're doing and I quickly pulled Nimit aside and introduced myself and like 2 hours later <laughs> we were still talking so um shortly after that a few months later I ended up moving to to Boston so I know that you spent time in Africa before you joined Votes and that I think you were in the Peace Corps and then eventually you co-founded a couple different organizations that really focus on entrepreneurs. But how do you use this Peace Corps Africa entrepreneurial experience in a voting startup based in Boston? I left those experiences in West Africa in particular, actually having a new found appreciation for at least a degree of system in the United States. And so I think I'm motivated to want to continue to make what we do have better. Um, But also those early experiences in West Africa informed me that being scrappy, prototyping solutions, constantly iterating on the fly, and being deeply embedded with the people that I was, you know, trying to work alongside in my community to make solutions is, is critical to the success of anything being able to take off from the ground. My time in West Africa learning a whole new language and you know a whole new culture really shaped that flexibility and kind of mindset. What's the difference between being in a nonprofit and now working for a company while doing something really important? It's for profit, right? You have investors, they are going to want to return on this at some point. What do you think the difference in the mindset is? It's different and it's not different. What makes it different is we have we have a bottom line that we have to hit. And so any opportunity that comes our way that fits within the scope of what we're trying to do that is revenue, we have to mobilize all we can to make that successful. Similarly, and Nimit probably deals with this more than I do, there's a constant upward management of making sure that investors are happy and that the story that of our success is is being effectively communicated. But that's not too dissimilar from nonprofit world where you've got to do that with your donors. I think in this instance, what makes it more intense is that we're venture capital funded, which means that we have very high expectations when it comes to our performance and the the rate at which we grow and scale as a team. So Nimit, along those lines, you were quoted early on about how you were pretty worried about how the company would survive. I think you said something like, we had very little money, just a handful of paying customers, and the future didn't look as promising from a, you know, could we sustain this business? Where is Votes at today? And what did you learn from those early struggles? I think the biggest learning was to not give up until the last uh, last dollar in the bank, so to speak. I think there were lots of instances in our in our evolution over the past few years where I would say a senior mind would, told, would have told us, okay, time to time to give up. But I think that's what makes the entrepreneurial journey a little bit different, where I think you you have that urge to keep trying, keep trying till the very end. So I think that's that's what's essentially sustained us. So you guys have talked about how that, you know, part of this is a technology problem. And part of the idea here is really about trust. And I read about a demo that you did. The more you shared the technology, the more people kind of worried about it. It's almost like you're stuck in a catch-22. You know, part of what makes your app secure is the stuff people want to understand in more detail. 
But the more you give them the details, the less they become comfortable with it. It's it's kind of like a mystery to them. How, how do you work through that tension of technology and trust? Yeah, I think that's a um, very valid thing. It's also a product of our times where, you know, there is generally more distrust in society for everything. And so technology is no, no different. But absolutely, I think our challenge has always been to drill down the technology side into as simple a way as we can and use that through multiple proof points to generate a sense of trust. You have this incredible technology, and I have no doubt it's something we're going to see at some point in our lives. It should enable a level of engagement that just we can't get today. For us, this is a this is a real case for all of us needing to participate in what the future of engaging with democracy is, because what's at stake is, is far too great for us to not be trying to develop solutions in support of participation. What you're describing is actually a classic innovation problem. You know, you can imagine a better future and you have this idea how to help people realize it, but they can't see it for themselves. And I think one of the challenges is while you're right, what you're trying to do is so important. People actually relate to things on a much more simplistic level. In my mind, it's it's really about how is it good for them? How are you going to make their life better? Bringing it home to people that, you know, more and more, a greater percentage of our electorate is opting to vote absentee because we live our lives on the go. We live our lives increasingly mobily. Um, and so to tell somebody that this would allow them to vote from the convenience of their smartphone while also maintaining the security of the election, I think that piece is the is the future or the picture that we're trying to paint for people. You know, when I look at products that are embraced, that are innovative and people decide to do something with, the word that comes to mind that I've had other people explain is that you find a way to deliver a, a frictionless customer experience. It would seem that if we just made it easier, we'd get a lot more participation and that in and of itself would be a good thing in a democracy. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the premise that if you do make it easier for citizens to vote, that more people will take the opportunity to vote, especially because of the way our lives have changed, uh, circumstances have changed, and you know people want to be able to vote the way they lead the rest of their lives. And we are doing everything on our smartphones these days, from banking to you know all kinds of sensitive business stuff. And so why not voting as well? It would seem to me that there's potentially an incredibly powerful resistance to this type of change because if you're an elected official today and you like being one, this could be a pretty scary change. I mean, most congressmen are elected by a relatively small percentage of people. And while this might be good to get more people to vote, there are some people that, frankly, their jobs could be affected by this. When we hear resistance like that, I think we we try and push a more positive message that it's in everybody's interest eventually that more people vote so that our democracy becomes more representative. And yes, that will potentially hurt some presently elected officials, but it'll also bring up new opportunities for them, new opportunities for newer people. So I, I think our premise is that overall net-net, it will be a positive benefit for society. 
Do you think that innovation and what you guys are doing inside your company, is it more of a mindset or a process? It's a bit of both. I think definitely a mindset. And I think that comes from a sense of curiosity and dissatisfaction with what's presently available in any aspect of our lives. And that mindset motivates you, triggers you to try and improve and and make it better. The process side of it is also very important because you can't go from concept to actual market without a proper, you know, design feedback from the early users. And so having a, a robust process to go from point A to point Z is also really important. So I would say both tidally go together. You know, I think there's a lot written about process and tools and some great techniques out there to kind of help us along uh, on that journey. But I'm always curious about the people side of it, because if you don't get the right people, all the process in the world probably won't get you there. So how do you determine someone who thinks they want to come work for a startup? Are they really going to be willing to take risk? We focus so much on what someone does but you're really trying to get at how they think and how they're wired. Is there something you do to try to get at that when you get to know someone? Yeah, there's, there's no fixed formula uh, we've figured out, but there are some signals. For example, early on, we didn't have enough money to, I mean, we still don't, but we really didn't have enough money to pay, pay a salesperson while we still wanted to hire a salesperson. And so we were looking for a salesperson who would, not want too much of a salary in the beginning and is willing to take the risk at that moment and join us. And so that was a signal how many people are willing to take that risk and join at a really, really low salary with the prospect that, you know, things might improve in the future. Similarly, somebody is willing to uproot their lives living in one part of the country, willing to move to another part of the country to join us. I think those are significant signals uh, which tell you things about people, whether they are actually suited. I think just to add to that, one thing that I cue into is the quality of questions that the person is asking, which to me demonstrates a degree of of curiosity and engagement in that which we're building. So Nimit, what's your biggest failure? So I started out working at a startup and work work with them for many years. We went through an acquisition. And during the integration of the startup with this very well-established company, we realized that there was a severe clash of cultures in terms of management style. Eventually, the friction became so bad that everybody in my team left and I was the last person to leave. And I always felt like that was um, a little bit of a failure on my end at not being able to create that bridge. Hillary, do you have a biggest failure that you can recall? So one project I worked on when I was living in West Africa was starting a waste management system for the city I lived in. That was a huge undertaking with a lot of community partners It implicated the government. We got funding from the Ministry of Environment. I think ultimately we ran into the Ebola outbreak happened, right? You know, a year and a half into into the mix. And I think um, one failure, honestly, that I, that I think about is like maybe I did wasn't dedicated enough to stay and continue working with that and definitely still have um, thoughts around, you know, if I had tried to raise funding from elsewhere to support that system, that, that that's one thing that I, that I think frequently about. 
To me, innovation is fundamentally about leadership. And one of the most difficult things when I was a CEO was to get honest and candid feedback. So Hillary, this is your chance to help your boss. What is some things Nimit could do to be a more effective leader in your business? So Nimit is obviously brilliant and (laughs) he is plugged into a lot of different aspects of our business that, you know, necessarily he's been at the helm of. And I think that we're growing to a stage when like some of those pieces needed need to be handed off so that he can focus his time and energy on the pieces that are the most important. And so I think that's that's our constant struggle and opportunity is figuring out how do we transfer his knowledge share to others on the team to be able to take over the things that, you know, he's been managing alongside everything else so that we can continue to scale and grow as a company. You know, I think that that problem that you're uh, describing exists in every successful startup. What you don't want to have is a startup where at some point you don't need more people to help scale it up because that means it's not very successful. But that's a really, that's a great observation and honestly a challenge that, uh, you know, so many companies face. It's one of the reasons I was asking you guys about how do you think about who, how you hire to be that next person? Because Maybe if you could find a way to clone Nimit, that would be effective. But uh, short of that, you've got to find a way to transfer his incredible insight and knowledge into other people so you can scale the team. If you guys sat in a room of some young entrepreneurs, what piece of advice would each of you give them? Don't be afraid to take risks and always have an open mind to receiving feedback, even if you don't like it. It's not very pleasant and stay stay humble and always be willing to learn. And the only thing I would add to that is never stop asking questions. Typically, an entrepreneur gets their start from being frustrated with something and perhaps asking a question from that frustration, which forms an opportunity. And I think that mindset, kind of a general dissatisfaction with the status quo and constantly trying to ideally build something for the better is that'll take you a long way. Nimit and Hillary, I want to thank you both very much. Uh, the things you are doing, it's both a great innovation problem, but probably even more importantly, it's its using technology to take on some some of those historical challenges that are, are really ready for some change. I mean, it seems crazy that uh, we still vote the way we do, and, and there just has to be a way to make our representative democracy more representative. So thank you for all the work you're doing. We wish you the best of luck and uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to vote on my smartphone in the near future. Oh man, thank you. Thank you so much for having us here. It's a pleasure to speak with you as well. Thank you so much, Chuck. Nice meeting you. Thanks to Nimit and Hillary for joining me on Innovators on Tap and sharing some of the struggles and successes of votes. Winston Churchill said, Democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others that have been tried. I am grateful for what the team at Votes is doing to try and make our democracy a little better. If you found value in this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues, because I think we all know things that could use some innovative thinking. Please feel free to contact us through our website at www.innovatorsontap.com. We're always open to new ideas or critical feedback. My belief as an innovator 
is anything you do today can be done better tomorrow. Thanks for joining us on this journey. Let's go change the world.